Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello and welcome to Reliscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions in life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti. Let's get on with the show. Welcome back to the show. I'm here today with Alicia Serrano. Um, Alicia is a relationship coach, relationship coach, not a coast, um, of three years and currently a graduate student of clinical psychology. Uh, we're going to be talking about the art of keeping the spark alive in a long-term romantic relationship. Alicia, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to talk to you as well. I'm pretty excited about our episode today. Um, before we kind of dive into it, can you tell us, I guess, a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, sure. So right now, as you said, I'm a relationship coach. So that means that if someone would be having some concerns in their relationship, they would come to me. Um, I, I usually deal with a lot of them would deal with people who just broke up, would want to get together or maybe they found out that their partner had been cheating this whole time or just dating advice. So it's quite a range of concerns. Some people would also just want to be ready to be in a relationship or just to find out a little bit more about themselves or regain themselves after a nasty breakup. So those list of concerns would be things that I help clients with. So it's a very, it's a very goal-oriented job. So I work to identify certain goals with my clients and then we work together to meet those goals and yeah I've been studying uh, psychology for quite some time so right now I'm in about four years nearly five years into studying clinical psychology and before that I took my bachelor's in psychology as well so a total of eight nearly nine years of just psychology in my life um, yeah, and in that area, I'm very into the cognitive behavioral approach when it comes to psychology. So my approach to coaching is very informed by that, as well as existential approaches. Yeah, so I'm a big psych nerd, um, as you can see. Um, yeah, and my approach with clients is I like to bring in uh, I, I like to bring in a lot of that science and research into the work that I do, but I also like to keep it personable and fun and kind of see what kind of unique perspectives my client would have and just keep it fresh that way. Yeah, that's that's yeah. how I work. Yeah, for sure. No, that's really fascinating. I guess like our show as well is about, you know, ha a scientific approach to a lot of these very normal day to day right. problems. So um, that's a lot of years of psychology under your belt. So right. I'm sure you're well placed to answer our questions today. I hope so. For sure. Uh, before we kind of talk about that, uh, we've got a segment called Have You Met Alicia Serrano? Um, in which I ask you a couple of questions um, mm -hmm. about yourself. Are you happy to answer them? Oh, of course. Definitely. Go ahead. Uh, fantastic. What is your favorite book? That's a really interesting question because when, when someone said book or when someone says book, I immediately go DSM-5, which is kind of like the reference that a lot of psychologists would have. Um, it's probably the book that I read the most just because of my line of my, my career choices and everything. Um, favorite book, that's really interesting because I either read just a lot of nonfiction or, you know, and either that or just a lot of things online. So I don't actually read a lot of fiction books. Um, the last book that I really enjoyed would be um, Emily and Amelia Nagoski's Burnout book. So it's very interesting. It's still in that um, nonfiction realm, but it's such a, it, it's brilliantly written. So that's currently my favorite at the moment. That's really cool. I, I do a lot of the nonfiction stuff you read. Is that like um, around psychology in that area, or do you read outside of your field as well? A lot of it is psychology and maybe psychology related things. Um, I'm also into internet culture. 
a lot. So as weird as it is, I like reading scientific papers on internet culture. Um, it's really fascinating. So things that maybe I get into a show, right? I'll, I'd look at, okay, what, what have people said about this? And I'd read that. So yeah, it's a very extra nerdy way to go about nerd topics, I guess. I do not think that's weird at all because <laughs> I do the exact same thing. Okay, you're the same here. Okay, that's great. <laughs> you're not alone. I'm like, every time I have a new interest, I'm like, what has, what is the academic research behind Absolutely. this? Absolutely, that's exactly what I do, <laughs> right. Um, what about, what about a favorite movie? Oh, um, as cheesy as it sounds, I'm a big fan of the MCU and Avengers 2012 just hands down a comfort movie that I would have. So anytime that I would feel bad, that's usually something that's playing in the background. Yeah, my, my go-to movie. <laughs> what does the academic research say on the MCU? <laughs> really good question. Interestingly enough, I haven't gotten into that, maybe because there's already so many people talking about it online that I don't feel like, oh, I need to know like things about that. But yeah, something to check into maybe later after this after this whole recording. I've actually because I used to study um, film film theory yeah, in the past, I see. so I've actually read a fair amount of research into MCU. It's very oh, interesting. Wow. It's a okay. lot of like franchise studies. But I'm I'm before I I, I digress. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into that now. <laughs> um, what about a podcast that you've been listening to lately? Lately. Again, not to be like stereotypically an internet person, I've fallen into the rabbit hole of true crime as anyone would have been in the past few years, it seems. My favorite right now is Rotten Mango by Stephanie Sue. She just talks about these cases in a very em empathetic way. So it's not like, because a lot of people would go about these true events in a very tea spilling way, which I don't really think is the way to go about it. But the way that she goes about it is really engaging, really respectful. And also just, you know, there's a lot to be, there's a lot to be like learned from these, from, from these cases. And again, the psych nerd that I am, it's very interesting to look at that and kind of like gives a lot of food for thought. So that's something that Again, it's either MCU movies or podcasts or, you know, things like that. So that's something that I've been listening to quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. That's another one to add to my list um, for sure. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> what about um, a famous role model that you've looked up to? Mm -hmm. Okay. Again, I I've said it quite a few times already, but not to be stereotypically like an internet person. Um, I, like, so I like this group called BTS and... They have a member named Namjoon. His name is Kim Namjoon and ultimately like one of my favorite people on earth. He's such a great person, like not even just a, a musician or an artist or an idol, but the way that he goes about life is just very inspiring. And he, he, he has a lot of wisdom to him. So definitely a role model there. And another one, again, as as weird as it sounds, is is a drag queen. I'm not sure if you would be familiar in that I am area. Familiar. Trixie Mattel. Yeah. So Trixie so is one good. of my role models. Her drive, just going about what she likes. There's a lot of ventures that she's in and just passionate about so many different things. And I hope to aspire to that level of work ethic and drive. And so those two people really are very motivating for me. That's, I love both of those examples. Um, mm. No one has referenced BTS as a role model or a drag queen as a role model okay. so far in the show. Okay, okay. So um, I love that. Um, and I know um, Natasha, who's a part of our like, um, production team, is mm -hmm. a huge BTS fan, so she'll be pleased to, okay. pleased to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about the last course that you completed? Mm, like course, academic course? academic or personal, whichever, oh. any kind of course. Okay. So academic course, it would be, of course, the actual degree that I have, which is BS psychology. Um, personal course, I guess, recently I've been teaching myself how to like craft with foam. So I like creative endeavors as well, making costumes, things like that. So that's kind of where my mind goes. It's either psychology or I want to make this one thing. And so... Yeah, that, that's kind of something that I learned recently on how to work with materials like that. 
That's really cool. I, I've never crafted with foam before. Like what kind of material exactly is it? Right. So it's it's thin sheets of foam. Um, if you okay. work a lot with kids, this like some how, how to make cool things out of kid materials. Um, yeah, there, some of them would be really thick. Some of them would be really thin. You can make things like armor out of it or other such props other costumes things like that mm. yeah it's really fascinating like it doesn't look like foam at all like depending on how you go about it so that's been a rabbit hole that i've entered <laughs> the past few months right well i've got to look into that and i'm um, sure everyone listening <laughs> right now is going to go into that rabbit hole with you I as well so. <laughs> Um, But that kind of brings us to the end of that segment. Mm -hmm. Um, We've gotten to know you now, uh, and we've also now gone down all of the same rabbit holes that you have. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to move on to our main topic of the day, which is about keeping the spark alive in a long-term and passionate relationship. Um, I want to start very broadly. How do you define a relationship? Yeah, so a relationship for me is a meeting between or among people. So it's not just two people like I I know that our topic would be more on the romantic side of things but even that doesn't have to just be with two people so it's being there with one another in an authentic way Um, and usually it involves fulfilling a need or a desire Um, yeah so it could be as shallow or as deep as you would want it to be so there's a lot of different kinds of relationship but ideally it also involves maintaining your sense of self um so it's kind of being who you are with other people who are also being themselves and seeing what happens there yeah yeah our show kind of focuses just on the romantic relationship Um, in your opinion how has that changed over the past few decades have have romantic relationships changed at all that's a really interesting question and also pretty layered um, the way that I see it, it, it's less of a past versus present, but it's more like a tree, right? Um, so I think right now there are so many more branches of what we know to have been a relationship back then. And I think that the meaning, structure, and importance, I think that has remained for a lot of people but maybe we just have a lot more different forms of it now. So it's kind of like with that tree analogy, right? There's a lot more branches or maybe it looks slightly different. Um, What came to my mind here also is we don't really have direct records of every single kind of relationship that happened in the past, right? We really only know what's written. And a lot of times anything that's not normalized would often get deleted or just not recorded at all. So I think that a lot of the relationships we have now, so this is just like my personal take on it. I think that a lot of the, again, relationships we have now have existed in the past, but maybe just not to the visibility that we have today. So for example, um, of course, technology is a big thing. That's not something that existed in Shakespearean times, for example. So what would be today's Tinder match might have been like an electric pairing in a ballroom dance somewhere. Um, But yeah, people wouldn't, maybe that would exist in a diary somewhere, but not really like, okay, this is like an actual thing that people do. Um, So I think that old meanings are still here. There's just a lot more variety and a lot more visibility to the ones that might not have been so common before. Yeah, so... I think it's changed. Um, Not that it's been replaced. I I think that's my my key here is that nothing has replaced it, but there are just a lot more ways of looking at it that is more accessible and maybe more normalized as well today. Sure. I like that way of looking at it. There's like a kind of ballroom dance from like the early Renaissance era might have been equivalent to like swiping right on Tinder today. Absolutely. What are you looking at? Just their their dress and, right. and figure, essentially. Yeah, rather than swiping right, it's how you move your fan. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Um, what? How do you define romantic passion? Mm, right. So romantic passion is an experience that is fiery. It's very it's very intense. So 
intensity, desire, uh, attraction would be some of the terms that I would associate there. So it's more of an experience that you would have. Um, I, I wouldn't even say that it's a relationship per se, but really more something that you that you would experience. So it's something that is, as, as I mentioned, very intense compared to what would be things like compassionate love, companionate love. So yeah, it's very strong. It's kind of like fireworks going on. Yeah. And I guess like how, how does that, how long does that tend to last? I mean, I'm assuming mm-hmm. something so intense, you know, it, it, there's a time limit on, on, on that kind of right. feeling. Absolutely. So when it comes to, so this is where the psych nerd goes in, right? Um, a lot of people have found that it's not something that lasts for as long as, let's say, just being there with someone, being more on a companion level with someone. So it does have a tendency to fade. So it's similar to when people say, oh, I'm in my honeymoon period with my new relationship. Um, I, I can't say for sure, like how exactly that would be different, like person to person. But generally, it it comes and goes like it's not like full force all the time. Um, yeah, it's a lot shorter, kind of like fireworks, right? It's very intense, but it, it does fade at some point. Yeah, for sure. What, what, why is it important to like nurture um, passion over time? Or is it important at all? I suppose is, is probably a better question. Yeah, I think it's absolutely important. Um, because again, it, it has a tendency to fade and passion is something that brings people together. It makes you feel very close with your partner. There is that intimacy to it. And it also just brings a lot of vitality and excitement in a relationship. And so even if it doesn't last forever, it's not something that completely dies. It's something that you can definitely bring back and match your pace with what it is that you'd like to experience in a relationship. Because there are some people who are more than happy, more than satisfied with things being easygoing and calm in a relationship. To some people, passion is very important. And so it's important that way because some people, that's a need for them to be happy in a relationship. And it also, again, brings people together. I also think that it's one way to check for compatibility over time. Because as people change and grow, so does a relationship. That's something that people often forget, that the person who you are right now is not going to be the exact same person like half a year ago. And that's the same thing with a relationship. So it's important to nurture and sustain it over time because passion, you know, it, it's intense, it's fiery, it's very strong. But how it looks like on the surface can really be different. Even like in one couple alone, depending on like at what point of the relationship they're at. So it's important to know and be up, you know, updated with how your partner works, how your relationship works so that you can continue to feel close with someone and if that compatibility is not something that's coming back, then maybe it can also signify that maybe it's not a good fit over time or maybe the people you are right now, there might be some kinks or issues to be to be ironed out that way. How do you go about sustaining that passion over time? Because, you know, we were talking about how it's kind of like a, it's a very intense and often short-term experience. Mm. How do you reignite that, especially in the long term, you know, a few years, maybe potentially even decades um, for some people? Yeah. So going back to what I said, that people, you know, naturally, that's a very understated thing is that people would change. And so I think where it starts and I'm, I'm approaching this from, a, okay, if this is a client concern, right, what would, I, what would I tell them? What have I told them? It's understanding yourself. Um, did your interests change? Would the things that would have brought up the spark in you change? For example, people are going to be different from when they were 20, when they're in 30, when they're in their 30s or 40s. And so a lot of people forget that, that they expect that passion only really lasts in their 20s or 30s but that's not true at all it just changes its face throughout time and so 
you need to understand first yourself, and then you would need to share that with your partner. So it's a continued understanding of what makes each other tick, what excites the other person, and what's ultimately valuable to them. So something that also usually happens is people would think, oh, I'm into this. And then they would assume that it's the same for their partner, where it might not be the case. And so telling each other what they like, what they don't like, and meeting in the middle and knowing what needs to be done and what is important is really crucial. And so I highlight the the value part of it because not everything weighs the same. So there are some actions or words that might be more important to someone than compared to other things. And so knowing what those would be for yourself and for your partner would allow you to really be mindful with your efforts there. So when it comes to maintaining that passion, nurturing it, sustaining it, I like to think of it as what would be high cost and low cost. And it doesn't have to be like financial cost, but that could also play into it. But what would use up a lot of time? What would use up a lot of energy? Um, and, And know what you're working with, because the reality is that when it comes to these concerns, it usually comes up when people are a leader in their relationship. And usually these would be people who are very busy at work, who might have a lot of kids, a household to run. And so there's not an unlimited amount of resources that people would have. So you would need to know what's important and really focus on that. So when I say like low cost um, things, when it comes to passion, it can be daily kisses or being physically affectionate with one another. Maybe it's sitting next to each other instead of opposite each other so that there is a lot of that skin contact or just that closeness. These are things that you could be doing your own thing that could still fuel that, you know, fuel that flame. Um, High cost things would be like, a weekend getaway, right? For example, let's say that it's a married couple, they have three kids. They would need to, okay, make time for it, make sure that they don't have any work during that weekend. Do they need a babysitter? Do they need to book summer? So it's a lot of planning. It's a lot of ironing details out. So those are a lot of valid and important ways to go about, you know, sustaining passion, but the effort required for it, the barrier of entry um, would be very, very different. And of course, valuation is different. There might be some people who don't care about weekend getaways at all, but would really more care about like, you know, are you there for them at the end of the day? So knowing what that would be for one another is important. And also just updating each other on what's different, right? Like a lot of people might watch something, realize, oh, I didn't know I was into that. Don't keep that to yourself. You know, tell that to your partner. Hey, this is what I found out about me. And is that something that maybe you're interested in trying out? Is that something that you would find interesting for yourself? So things like that, just that open communication, updating each other on what's going on, what's changed, and ultimately being, you know, being able to cooperate with each other. Okay, you know, is this something that we need to introduce in our schedule, in our routines, and being available? Because all of this is not really going to go anywhere unless someone is available to actually do it. And I bring this up because when you talk about long-term relationships, especially relationships in the decades, a relationship doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? We wish that it did, but it, it doesn't. So things like work, family issues, other economic issues, those would be, you know, that would take up time and attention away from the relationship. Um, So being available to even do all of these things would ultimately be very important. So if you notice that, you know, your partner is just really busy at work, then the availability is going down. So that's something that you would have to be really mindful about and make time for it and just be available to even discuss all of these things that we've been talking about. Yeah, I guess those would be like the important things there. Yeah, I mean, I that kind of brings me to um, my next one of my questions, which is about like <laughs> the challenges that couples face when they're trying to maintain that spark. Um, mm-hmm. Like, obviously, you know, outside life, <laughs> family <laughs> obligations, work mm-hmm. um, are one of those things. But w- what what are some of the other challenges that maybe couples might come across? Um, you know, why might they? have issues and try to maintain that spark. Yeah. Um, 
I'm going to go start with like the inside of someone and actually not knowing what works for them. So maybe they know their 20-year-old version of what would work for them, but not what would work for them in their present self in the here and now. Um, so that's something that a lot of people might need to reflect on, you know, take time to just think about what they want now and be able to communicate that. Because what you don't know, you can't communicate. And if you don't communicate that, your partner can't help you with that issue. And so knowing what it is that you want, knowing what works for you, what doesn't work for you is very important. Um, also just communication issues. So a lot of people might know what they want, but wouldn't really say that. And so that leads to nowhere. And so it's not an issue of knowing yourself or knowing what your partner wants, but being able to actually talk about it. And a common, a very, very common pitfall that people would have is they expect their partners to just know. And that's just mm. not, that just doesn't happen, right? We can't read people's minds. And so we need to tell someone your expectations, what it is that you don't like what it is that you do like so your partner might know again the version of you that existed years ago but if you don't tell them that hey things have changed they're going to assume their last updated information of you and so that's something that you have to talk about with your partner and just communicate with them that hey i'd like to do this or i'd like to try this or i don't like this anymore or even just setting time to do that a lot of people would just kind of be how do I say this it's not really acceptance but they would not be proactive in having the relationship that they would like so take for example a couple who would have a really crazy work-life balance where there is no balance right it's just work mm -hmm. um, a lot of people would be oh you know that's just how it is that's you know it, it's important for us to be able to live that this would happen and so they would just take a step back and not do anything about it but really, that's something that is 100% workable that you need to communicate. Uh, so yeah, big, big part of this would be communication issues. Um, related to that a little bit would be embarrassment and shame about even talking about passion, about even talking about the spark. So part of this could be cultural. So again, a little bit of background is I come from the Philippines. And the culture here, even if it has changed considerably it's still very conservative so talking about what they're interested in passion wise in their intimate life or what turns them on things like that that's still largely like hush hush and so there could be a lot of internalized embarrassment or shame when it comes to talking about these topics and that leads people to just really withdraw and not even dare to open up the floodgates when it comes to those concerns. So that's also something that I notice with people or maybe the culture and their family. Maybe their family just doesn't talk. That's a very common problem that I see at work. So that's something that needs to be ironed out, that there's absolutely nothing embarrassing or shameful to talk about when it comes to these things. And related to just um, emotions and feelings that could prevent people from working things out would be fear. So for example, what if they do know what they like? What if they're scared that their partner would feel grossed out by it or they, that they might not understand where it's coming from or might not reciprocate? So a lot of people just, again, withdraw. And instead of being curious about that or just open up that conversation, you know, they get governed by that fear. So yeah, those are those are very common experiences that people would have that would be problems in this area. Yeah, I feel like the kind of communication issue is one that comes up on the show <laughs> a lot because right. I think a lot of relationship issues boil down to just a lack absolutely. of communication. Absolutely. It's when I think about the clients I work with, most of the problems could be solved by just hashing it out, really, or just by opening up that, hey, you know, I have an issue with this. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'm not surprised that communication issues would be one of the things that would come up frequently because that really is how it looks like for sure. You heard it here first. If you're having <laughs> issues, maybe just talk about it a little absolutely. bit. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. 
Um, what are some of the misconceptions that people have around this idea of, of the romantic spark? Mm, right. That's really, that's a very interesting question because there are quite a bit of common ones. Um, a lot of it is, it has to be complicated or it has to be so outside of the norm um, that it has to be exciting. So I think a lot of people would associate excitement or the spark with something that is that might be you know subversive or not you know not within the norm. Um, you could explore that. I mean that's encouraged, but that's also not everything. There's a lot of just everyday things that you could do that would be simple. So for example, cuddling at the end of the day, underrated. That's something that you could do again, low cost activity, right? You're already there, um, but a lot of people forget, and so. There's a lot of important behaviors that people could do to maintain that spark that they just discount because it doesn't fall in line with what they would assume would be, you know, exciting or what would bring back that spark. So a lot of people would also think that it's all about sex or all about intimacy when that's not everything to that. They And a lot of it would be, oh, I have to be a different person or I have to do something that I've never done before or maybe even do things that you're uncomfortable with. And that's, again, is not the case. A lot of people would go, oh, maybe you need to try role play or involve another person. And and those are kind of like um, very, I wouldn't say extreme. I think that it's, you know, valid options. But if that's not where you want to go, you don't have to go there. So a lot of people really think that they have to go in an area that they've never tried it before when that's really not the case. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I know kinks are probably, like, a very valid option for some people who for want sure. to explore that kind of thing and, and a, a worthwhile discussion to have with your mm -hmm. partner as well. Um, I, it's, like, actually something you said earlier sticks out to me and that, like, what you're interested in when you're 20 and what you're interested in when you're 30 um, or 40, you know, much older is definitely going to change over time. Um, so, like, you know, what makes you feel that romantic passion might be completely different in five, even two, three years time. Um, mm -hmm. If you've been through like, I don't know, a, a world changing pandemic or something like that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then you find like washing hands to be like the most attractive thing. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I mean, you're kidding. I, I don't think that's a joke for a lot of people. I think it's yeah, like a genuine hey, It might be, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um, what are kind of like some warning signs that oh, that some that that maybe people should look out for um, during their relationship that maybe that spark is actually well and truly dead? Mm, right. I'm um, a big part of it. So I also think about because these questions have been brought up in the client work that I've done. It's feeling like something is missing. Like something is just different about your relationship and there's just, it's not something that maybe you can pinpoint. Um, because the thing about spark is that it's such an ambiguous thing. You can describe it, but you can't really, it's hard to concretize. It's just something that people would feel. And so I think when it comes to looking at red flags or warning signs, it's usually the manifestations or how people respond to it being gone rather than kind of like looking at whether or not it's there so a big part there would be frustration like you know if people are noticing that something's different and they can't pinpoint what it is as human beings you want to be able to work on it and if you can't really tell what that is people end up being frustrated um another big warning sign would be things feeling like it's automated like you're you're just like a sim, like you're, you're just being told what to do and you just do the next thing and the next thing. So that lack of excitement is often a sign that maybe you would want to look into that spark because again, spark is that intensity, is that something there that's exciting for you that would make you want to seek out your partner. So if you're not seeking out your partner in a way that makes you want to connect with them, that's, a, that's something to look into. Um, and to take that to the next level, when you're looking elsewhere to feel that spark, I think that's one of the 
reddest <laughs> flag out of them all is when you think about, okay, is this something that, do you feel that with someone else? Because if that's the case, then, you know, then the original relationship that you're in is not, you know, doing it for you. And so that would be, those are some of the things that I would look into or that I would um, kind of bring up with my clients. Um, another thing could be the spark might be there for your partner, but not with you. So how this could look like is your partner might be wanting to start things, might be, you know, being a little bit more affectionate, a little bit more romantic, intimate with you. But if you feel like you're not even wanting to reciprocate that or you feel checked out when that happens, then that would be something that I look into because sometimes the spark is there for just one person. And so that's still that's still a problem. So, yeah, those those areas would be common places that people would would notice for sure. And like you said, like it's hard to quantify what the spark is or yeah how it how it feels it's like a difficult one to it's difficult to know when like you can observe that there's issues with it but I think it takes a while before you realize it's kind of like an issue that you can't actually fix Mm. um so I mean am I right in assuming that like maybe make the effort before kind of coming to that conclusion or or are there like situations where it's like well you know what you know it's time to live and let live essentially Mm. That's a really good question. And it kind of brings to mind the kind of people that people are. So there are some people who are quick to give up that, oh, I don't feel this way. Goodbye. You know, there are some people who are like that. And there are some people who would self-blame and would rather just, you know, make it their own problem rather than a relationship problem. So I think for sure, as you said, trying to look at what you could do before, like, giving it your full effort and your honest to God best shot before saying that, oh, you know, this this is it. Unless, of course, it's not an important relationship to someone. So that goes back to how, how much do you value this relationship? Because if you don't, then okay, you know, that, that's valid. But if it is something that is long-term, right, that has lasted for decades, it's typically something that people would want to work on um, and if you don't want to work on it, again, that's also an indication that maybe that relationship has, you know, has run its course. Um, yeah, working on it for sure is something that I'd recommend before giving up on a relationship. Granted that that relationship is a healthy one, right? Sometimes there's a reason why the spark isn't there. And it's not related yeah. to whether or not you're doing the best job. Maybe the relationship has not been great for you or there are other factors that really would get in the way so a lot of things to check for sure yeah for sure um well I guess that's kind of the end of our main segment for the show and I want to move on now um to the practice slash habit experiment debrief um where we talk a little bit about how we can put everything we've talked about today um all the wonderful knowledge you've shared with us um into practice so Alicia what's a practice that you would do to you do to improve yourself in keeping the spark alive or that you've recommended to clients um, oh. to help them keep the spark alive? Right. Um, for me, it's show and tell. Um, so it's looking at what you found to be interesting. And this isn't even just what you found sexy or hot, but, oh, this is something that I'm interested in and it might be new. So it goes back to that idea of you want your relationship as updated as you are. And so the more that you find out things that you like, things that you don't like, share that with your partner so that they would also know you really well. So for example, if they watch something and they're like, oh, I found that to be really interesting. I'm going to tell my partner about it. And maybe that's something that maybe we could try. And so it's, I bring this up a lot to people because a lot of people would feel pressured to just be creative out of nowhere. You don't need mm-hmm. to reinvent that wheel. You just got to look for inspiration where, where you can find it. And so there's a lot of things that people would watch or do or see that are inspiring to them. Again, it's the concept of a lot of things that you already do or look at are really helpful relationship tools. It's only your perspective. Would you allow yourself to seek inspiration from this thing that they're watching? Or maybe you're reading about something and something comes out. 
you don't have to delineate those things as, oh, this is strictly like an academic thing. No, you can bring that into your personal life and take inspiration there. So a lot of times I would tell clients, look at the things that you find really interesting or that really, you know, triggers that passion for you and see if that's something that you could take home with your partner. And maybe instead of a solo activity, it could be a couple activity for you. So it's, it's, it's finding another purpose for the thing that you're already doing. And that's usually helpful because, again, a lot of times people don't have that infinite time and resource to look for all of these new things. And so you want to repurpose things that you already are doing, already find interesting, and make it apply to as many areas in your life as possible. Yeah, so how that could look like, as I mentioned, if they watch an episode and they're like really fascinated by it, they want to try it out, then make your partner watch it or watch it together. It could be really good. It could really be a good activity to try yeah, I, I mean, that reminds me, I, I feel like, um, you know, watching a TV show with someone and then debriefing with them at the end of each episode mm. is like an intimate activity in and of itself. There's like an intellectual connection that you share with someone, even over the dumbest TV show. Like Absolutely. it could be, I don't know, Love Island, but right. like you're still having a discussion with that person and spending time with them. Right. Yeah. Because it's not the content, it's what you make out of it that really matters to you. And it's also a practice in being authentic yourself because again a very common problem that people would have is oh I have to be this vixen who's really up for anything for the spark to come back to life not really you know you could definitely look at what's already there and just amp it up and yeah make make something out of what's already there and being creative that way without putting unnecessary pressure on yourself to figure out something new each and every time Sure. What what do you feel like are the challenges with with the practice like this? Because mm. I I can already think of like the obvious one, which is like, what if they don't share the interest? Mm. Um, like I think of I one of my guilty pleasures is reading um, the AITA um, Reddit right. subreddits, um, where it'll be like just these awful men who are like, I can't believe my girlfriend or wife or whatever has a hobby, and she's so annoying for having such and such hobby. Um, I think right. it was like a famous one back, and it's like, yeah, I, I'm assuming you know that's an exaggerated version of it, but I'm assuming mm-hmm. there's to a certain extent there's this um, fear of like sharing something that you really enjoy and then being rejected for it. Yeah. So that is a big part. That is a concern people would have. And it's also, so this is where I I want it to be. I, I want to be careful because you want to prioritize that authenticity versus dulling down your own interest for, for some person. Right. Because as I mentioned, like in one of the questions is sometimes the spark is gone for a reason. And it's not necessarily because someone didn't reciprocate. Maybe the delivery of that. Maybe it's not that they didn't reciprocate, but they were like such a bad person about it. Right. Because you can say to your partner, hey, you know, I'm not interested in doing that. But maybe you can try this version of it that I'd be more interested in doing. So it's this. It's more of, are they at least willing to hear you out or to work with you on that? Like, let's say, let's say kinks, right? Um, there are some people whose boundaries won't allow them to try things. And that's fine. We want to respect that. At the same time, what is available? What could you do about it? So rather than, you know, again, it's kind of like taking from improv, right? Rather than it's, it's a no it's a yes and, or if not that yes and, maybe this one, right? It's that creativity of wanting to work with your partner. And so that rejection fear is very common. And I think that's also a sign that maybe it's not maybe the spark, but maybe the general health of your relationship. If you can't be open and honest and say that, oh, I find that scene really hot, then you, you're going to want to ask yourself why. Is it because you feel like it's a shameful thing, a shameful interest? Or is it because your partner has been putting you down this past few years, right? Then it can be those different things. And one way to go about that challenge is just understand that not everyone's going to be 
interested in the same things as you. So think of it in levels. So some people might not want the extreme version of it, but maybe a little bit more of a beginner version would be something that they would be willing to try. And so understanding that things are not black and white can really be helpful there. And also, it's okay. You're not that one interest. Just because they don't like that thing doesn't mean that they don't like you as a person. And so that's something that's really important to remember. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How, in your experience, how would you combine this kind of practice? Is there another one that you would combine it with to perhaps enhance it or, or make it better? Yeah, absolutely. I think going back to the senses would be really important. Um, so a lot of the things that we've done so far, we've talked so far would be um, more activity space would be, okay, you, you need to have like an interest somewhere or be doing something. Senses are already there, whether we like it or not, right? So just looking at, okay, what kind of, what kind of sites would be good for you that could ignite the spark for you? What kind of sensory experiences do you like touch a lot? Is that something that's very important to you? Is it scent? Like, does your partner wear a specific perfume that makes you go crazy? So taking note of that would be something that's really important. Is there like, is there a specific maybe taste that you would really like to introduce into your relationship? So going to things as basic as that, just to remind yourself that you are a creature of passion, that you are biologically wired to experience these things, you know, more often than not is important. And so paying attention to the basic blocks of what that is, because as you said, Adati, like a lot of these things are very amorphous, right? It's, it's a feeling, it's hard to describe. And so a really good way of breaking that down into something more understandable would be the sensory experience of it. And so you might not be able to describe what spark is, but you could identify what sense you like, what sights you like, you know, what kind of touch feels good for you. And so breaking it down that way could allow you to have a starting point with someone and what it is that you'd like to bring to them. Like what could you show and tell to someone at the end of the day? Yeah, that's one approach that I really like to do with clients. Yeah, for sure. Um, beautiful answers, I think, to Thank that you. segment. <laughs> um, so we, I might move on now from the practice slash habit experiment debrief to some questions from the audience. Um, are you happy right. to answer them? Of course, definitely. Fantastic. Um, so the first question is, at what point do we stop seeking a spark and accept our partner just as they are? Is reaching a plateau in a relationship a good thing? Hmm. That's a really, that's a really good question. It's interesting how it's framed. Um, because when you say a plateau, how do you look at that way of framing? Like, is that, does that say that you're missing something that you want to be there? Or are you comfortable in this more, in this more stable pace? Because a lot of times a healthy relationship can feel or come across as boring because the dramatic one has all of these exciting ups and downs, right? Um, a lot of times in my client work, I like to say it as after riding a roller coaster, walking can feel a little bit weird. And so that can often translate into relationships as, okay, things are boring. I think that it's not necessarily, you know, a bad thing or that you shouldn't really pressure yourself to bring back the spark if it's not something that's causing you um, any negative experiences. And naturally, that's just that just happens in a relationship. So if I'm understanding the question right, it's kind of like it's asking if it's a bad thing that it, it get that it fades over time. Am I getting that correctly? I, I think so. I, yeah. I, I hope I hope that's what they meant. Yeah, I yeah. wouldn't know. <laughs> okay. Um, tackling it from that perspective, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means that, you know, you've gotten used to someone. Because it's kind of like, at some point, something like where we're masters at adapting. That's kind of how, how people would work. 
And so what could have been exciting before might just be your everyday. And so to look at that and to really reappreciate what it is that you already have and find the excitement there again could be part of that journey. Or again, if people are happy in that situation, then there's, there's nothing to worry about. I think that for a lot of, I, I wouldn't say a lot of clients, but there are some clients who would be so concerned about how things normally go that, you know, it's, it's not really a, a, a bad thing or it's just how things are. I think what's important there is to look at, is this problematic to you? Like, is this something that you would need addressed? Or do you want something to include in it? Because it's fine. You can be satisfied with something that has plateaued, but maybe every now and again, you want to fire things up a little bit. So it's just looking at, are you satisfied with that experience or would you like a different experience? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I feel like um, it's, it's kind of like if you're already happy, uh, if you're at a plateau, but you're happy with each other mm -hmm. um, and, and you don't feel like there's a problem with it, then why should you listen to other people who might feel differently about their Absolutely. relationships? Absolutely. That's a very interesting thing to say because a lot of people throw in their unwanted two cents into people's relationships. And I do notice that a lot of people problematize things too much. Like there's, you know, people can not have like big grand experiences and be absolutely satisfied. And so it's knowing that at the end of the day, what's important would be the health of you and the relationship. If you feel like you're in a healthy place, that you're happy with that, there's no pressure to do anything different. Um, but if you yourself would feel like there's something lacking, then of course, that's where you would want to act. Yeah, for sure. The next question um, is a bit of a complicated one. So I might just add what my interpretation of this okay, question is. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Um, but the question is, how can a spark in a relationship be maintained even after the attraction has dialed down? Must attraction exist for the spark to exist? I I'm assuming what they mean is like, uh, is like being attracted to someone the same as having a spark with someone, right. I, I guess. Right. That's a really good question. Let me think of that a little bit here. So it's related to the attraction dying down, which is something that does happen yeah. in a relationship. Yeah. yeah. So to answer that question, honestly, I think that attraction would be a big part of it. And not that it's the old, not that it's the same as the spark, but when you think of the spark and what makes it up, that would be a component of what a spark is, it's that attraction. Um, so I think you would want to look at why the attraction is gone. Um, when it comes to the question of can the spark exist even if the attraction isn't there? I would say that it would be a really weak flame, right? So a spark is something that is like it's fire. It's something that could be as intense or usually it is intense. Maybe it could be there, but I, it usually has difficulty being sustained if you're not attracted to someone because that attraction typically kind of pushes things on the edge. So for example, what separates a, a passionate interest or passionate romantic connection between a friendship that you know would be compatible with you is that would you date this person? Are you attracted to them in that way? So if that's gone, then typically the spark would also die out a little bit. So it's not the same, but it is a big component of spark. So yeah, I think that's something that is kind of like dies along with one another. Um, but other than attraction, you would also look at compatibility, how similar you are, how carefree you feel, um, but yeah, attraction, I think it's, it's a big thing. So if that's dying out, you might want to look at that. And because you can really expect Spark to kind of die alongside with it, unless, of course, you're just very, very compatible. And that makes up for that lack of attraction. But typically in the cases that I've worked with, it goes hand in hand, even if it's not the same. 
Sure. You answer that question really well, considering how complicated <laughs> okay. it was. Yeah. Um, the next question is, um, and I think we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier <laughs> in the episode. How do you find the energy to remain spontaneous in a long-term relationship? Mm. I often find that coming up with new ideas um, to be spontaneous can be really draining. Right. Maybe you're just not a spontaneous person and that's fine. So it goes back to that concern, right? That for the spark to be there, I have to be different. Um, you don't yeah. have to. I think creativity isn't just new thing all the time. It's looking at, okay, what are variations of this thing that we, that I already know works? So look at that. Look at your roster and look at if you are maximizing the tools that you have rather than looking for something completely different. Maybe you need to bring back something that worked 20 years ago. Maybe it could work again right now. Um, and also, sometimes it's not all about spontaneity. Um, a big part of keeping the spark alive, interestingly enough, is planning, right? So when you think of really great dates, like when you're just starting out in a relationship, you would plan that out. You would want to go to the best restaurant look really good, get your hair done, you know, find a really cute outfit and then think about what would happen after. And so bring that same energy like years down the line, because I feel like a lot of people have that pressure of I've been in this relationship for X amount of years. I should already know the program. That's that's not how things work. So I think that there's no pressure to be spontaneous. If you do want to be spontaneous it's being resourceful so it's like you don't need to look for something that is outwardly related to a relationship but how could that be inspiration in and of itself so for example if at work you went to a different place for lunch for a work meeting could that be something that you would bring your partner to that could be spontaneous enough that it's a new thing in your life if you would want to try out being more spontaneous you can look at what could what small tweak could I do in the routines that I have now? So always work with something that's already there and change a little bit um, about that. So you're not working with nothing because if you start out fresh ingredients all the time, you have to identify what you're going to do. Of course, you're <laughs> going to be drained because having a relationship is a little bit like a full-time job. And so if you have other things going on, your mind is automatically just maxed out. And so it's understandable to feel that way. And at the same time, there's no need to be spontaneous about it. Actually related to that is a lot of research would show that there are different types of desires with people. So there's that spontaneous desire. So this is like TV type desire, right? That people would just get it on like little to no lead up to it. There are some people who are like that. And there are some people who are more responsive so they take a lot of warming up to get there. Um, and there are people who are more contextual. So depending on what's going on in their life, um, intimacy or anything that leads to desire would kind of like, you know, change priority as their life circumstances would change. And so identifying what that could be for you is really important because if you're not a spontaneous person, then you're going to be very exhausted because you're trying to wear clothes that don't fit you. And so there's a lot of things that would be more aligned with who you are naturally that could actually work in your relationship. So it's, so TLDR on the response there is <laughs> you don't need to be spontaneous. If you want to be spontaneous, start making you know small tweaks with what you already have. So not, not brand new 100% all the time, but maybe just slightly different to what you already have. That's already spontaneous enough. Yeah, for sure. You don't have to treat every single, uh, you don't have to create an entirely new meet cute every single week. Absolutely. That's <laughs> exhausting. People who write novels would take time to even think of that. Like imagine needing to do that all the time. You're going to drive yourself crazy for a relationship. People who write novels have like third, fourth drafts and everything. Absolutely. <laughs> and they have editors to say that, no, no, no change this, right? I mean, we don't have that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, well, that's the end of the questions from the audience. So okay. thank you so much for answering all of You're them. You're very welcome. Um, 
we now have our open mic segment where mm-hmm. I let you have a mini TED talk about whatever you feel was important to talk about um, right. that perhaps we haven't yet so far. Um, so Alicia, what what was something that you wanted to raise um, and you wanted our audience to know? Yeah. So something that's really important to me, it's, it's a weird approach that I see my work as. So a lot of my work, you know, there, there's a, there are kind of like two main factions that I see it as and when I say when I tell people that this is the job that I have there's always that oh it's kind of like cupid work right you know make people be better at relationships you make their relationships work a lot better but I think what's also important in the work that I do is more of the anti-cupid work so it's looking at does this relationship really have to exist um because a lot of people would put in that effort in areas where maybe it should not actually work out quite well so this isn't to say that we should sabotage people right but it's also a lot of avoiding toxic people it's recognizing when is it the spark problem and when is it uh your boyfriend is abusive problem Right. Because that's something that a lot of people would question. They would a lot of people in relationships, I find, find it so hard to look at the relationship just not working out as the problem. So there's, there's a lot of what am I doing wrong? What am I missing here? What should I try next? Instead of looking at what other things in the relationship are inhibiting that spark. So again, a, a relationship and the spark doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's related to what has happened before and what's currently happening. So are your boundaries not being respected so you don't feel safe in, you know, trying out new things? Does your partner put your interests down so that doesn't make you feel comfortable talking about this interesting thing, thing that you found out or that you found out about yourself? And also looking at Are you creating a facade for people to be interested in you? And is that actually the problem here rather than the spark? Because a lot of what we talked about today is identifying what works for you. But if you build a new self just to create a relationship or to engineer a relationship, your authentic self is not going to be there and you're going to run out. We're not actors in this life. There's only so many roles we can do before it ends up being hollow. And so that's what I like to include in my anti-Cupid work is, are you pretending to be someone else for this relationship? Does that need to change? Are you not in the present? Are you trying to relive an old version of this relationship that is just not there anymore? So yeah, that's a lot of things that I find to be really important that if you don't address these things, of course the spark's not there because the spark isn't the problem. It's a relationship health problem in general. Yeah, no, that's such an important point. And it's something that like I, as a single person and as someone who, as the single person of most of my friend groups is the person they turn to for relationship (laughs) advice. Um, Often my advice, especially for some of the more egregious examples is why are you still with this person? You know, is, is it like, is this person actually good for you? Because it kind of seems like based on what you're telling me, it might not be the case. Um, And it also reminds me of like, you know, you talked a little bit about people comparing themselves to media um, and like examples of romantic relationships in the media. And so much of our media is like, what is kind of considered romantic might actually be kind of toxic um, in real life. For sure. Twilight, for example, <laughs> is totally fine to be into something like that, mm-hmm. but like to replicate it in real life might not necessarily translate to right. something healthy. Right, um, for sure. So, like, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, and in that like sometimes the relationship does need to actually die. Mm. Um, you don't need to kind of cling on to it um, beyond what is necessary. <laughs> Right, for sure, because people are out here trying things that they aren't actually comfortable with and hope that it would fix the relationship. And so that's just not healthy because sometimes, again, the problem is not the spark. It's really something else. And you can't actually bring that spark in an authentic way because it can feel like a spark, but is it something that feels good for you? Like, are you genuinely enjoying that moment? Or are you enjoying the fact that, oh, he's still happy? 
or she's still happy. But at the end of the day, it's very performative to you because a spark shouldn't be a performance. It should just be how the relationship is. Sure. Well, that is such a wonderful note to end on, I think. Um, So thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Where can people find you if they're looking for you? Mm. Thank you so much for that comment. I I had like a wonderful time talking about a lot of these um, a lot of these topics, I think the questions are really, are really important. And I, I can imagine a lot of people would have similar concerns as well. So I hope that this has been helpful, not just for you or the team involved, but for people who are listening. Um, right now, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I also have there linked my coaching profile um, where you can book with me if you're interested in that. Um, right now, because I am juggling a few hats, um, I still don't have like any content when it comes to coaching or relationship work, but I do plan to do that um, when when I would have a lot more time, a lot more mental space for it. So yeah, but right now you can contact me by LinkedIn. Sure. I'm sure being a student um, is a huge drain on your mental and emotional resources right now. Um, But thank you so much. Uh, Like you said earlier, you know, I've had such a great time talking to you and I've learned so much um, from this episode. Uh, And uh, it's also really nice to talk to a young person like me. I don't often get guests who are that young. So it's been fun. It's been fun. Thank you. Yeah, it's been fun as well. And I hope that there's a lot of things that could be taken away. Relationships shouldn't be hard or boring it can be as fun as you would want it to be so yeah i I enjoyed my time here as well aditi thank you so much thank you it's wonderful i had a wonderful time you've been listening to reliscope the relationship science insights podcast produced by lmsl the life management science labs for more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives search lmsl on youtube google podcasts apple podcasts and spotify or wherever you find your podcasts so you can get updated on everything we have to offer we have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out if you enjoyed this episode please consider rating our show sharing it and subscribing to our channel as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources more of our work can be found at re.lmsl.net where you can join our movement i'm aditi kuti thanks for tuning in Thank you.